So one of the sayings that I heard my entire life has been, if you want to be successful, find someone else that is successful and copy what they're doing. In today's podcast, we're going to talk about if that's actually the right way to go about things and how to determine who is really successful versus who is just pretending. Also, if you're new and you haven't done so already, check out my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Stoked. If you want some trading related videos, weekly videos about what, four times a week, youtube.com slash Stokes. Check it out. Now, I bring up the YouTube video because the topic for this podcast actually came while I was recording the Trading Edge video this week. In the beginning of this weekend's Trading Edge video, I, I talked about a conversation I had with one of the traders on our platform where he had just come across this book called Market Wizards and he was excited about it. And it reminded me of, of two things. One, it reminded me that I've got the brand new Market Wizards. It's called Unknown Market Wizards sitting on my shelf. I bought it. I put it in there, forgot all about it. So definitely got to pop that thing open during the summer, which I'm very excited about because two, the Market Wizards series, and there's about three of them, right? There's or four, Market Wizards, New Market Wizards, Hedge Fund Market Wizards, and then Unknown Market Wizards. The Market Wizards series, specifically the initial book, Market Wizards, was probably the most game-changing book that I read in my trading career. Um, I know you guys see the successful Akil now, and this is going to kind of go right into the topic we're talking about. But if you can uh, kind of flash back about, what, 15 years or so ago, that wasn't the case. I was in the same situation that many of you guys were in. I was new to trading. I thought it was something that it really wasn't. And when it was a, a lot harder than I expected... I started to lack confidence. I started to question myself and wonder if trading was really something that I can be good at, right? I, I don't come from a kind of a traditional educational uh, you know, background, right? I, I didn't go to school for economics. I didn't work on Wall Street. I'm kind of just an average Joe that ventured off and tried to learn by himself. So when I read Market Wizards, it was a game changer because Market Wizards, if, you, if you're unfamiliar, it's a, basically a, a collection of interviews of the top traders at the time. And two things really stood out to me about that book. One, in my mind at the time, I, I thought there was this single secret to success, right? There's this one trick or secret that we have to know in order to be successful traders. There's this one strategy we have to follow. And until I found that single thing, I was never going to be successful, right? The game was rigged. It was against me. Well, reading that book and hearing the success stories of these different traders, um, I saw that each of them actually traded differently, right? Some traded purely fundamental, some traded purely technical, some traded, one guy traded off uh, astrology and stuff like that, um, looking at the almanac and, and doing all some types of weird stuff, but he was su successful with it, right? And it showed me that there are different ways to become successful, which, which eliminated that false idea that was implanted in my head because of probably the internet somewhere, right? Two, it also showed that all of these traders, except for one, I believe, struggled really bad in the beginning of their trading career. A lot of them were very poor traders. One story that stood out to me um, the most was this guy that lost all his money. He had to escape into like the, the back stairwell of his office and, and call his mom for a loan to get back into a position before he went broke for the day. And, and that was a lot worse than what, what I ever uh, you know experienced in my trading career. I've done some pretty bad things, but I never had to call my mom and ask for money. So as a, a struggling trader, I was kind of like, yeah, I'm not the worst. Um, 
But it was cool to see that all these traders struggled yet still found a way to be successful. That gave me hope. That was kind of like a light at the end of the tunnel. And my entire life, right, I've always heard this saying, and this is how we got on this topic. I was trying to search for the quote for the video about, you know, the best way to become successful is to follow what successful people are doing. Right? I know that's kind of the saying, but I thought I'd find a better quote. And to my surprise, when I searched that, the first thing that came up was a bunch of articles saying why, why following or copying successful people is actually a bad idea. So I started clicking through a few, and I have one that I want to read for you today. It's it's on the blog of Scott H. Young. I think it's just scotthyoung.com, and the title is Why Copying Successful People Can Backfire. And he starts off by saying, James Clear, who is a great follower, great author, if you haven't read anything by him, Atomic Habits is the, the one that stands out in my head right now, um, recently tweeted about the importance of carefully cultivating your tribe. If you want to be in the top 1% of a particular domain, then you can't take your cues and follow the social norms of 99% of people. This is harder than it sounds. We are wired to imitate. The further you want to climb, the more carefully you need to construct your tribe. And your tribe is basically the people you follow, the people you surround yourself with. And Scott comes back and, and uh, going into the article says, he's not wrong. Being surrounded by the wrong culture can definitely impede your progress. However, there is more nuance to the idea than you're simply the average of the five people you spend the most time with. In one of my favorite books of all time, Harvard anthropologist Joseph Heinrich makes a compelling case that it's not true that people merely copy the behavior of those around them. Even more, the fact that we don't follow this simple approach may underline the source of all human progress. Who to copy? Prestige and dominance. Many animals exhibit what's known as a dominance hierarchy. The alpha picks on the beta, all of whom pick on the omega. These hierarchies are asserted through force and they exist in human beings as much as they do in others. Bosses, commanders, and kings all formalize the notion of a dominant individual being higher up in status. Interestingly, however, human beings have a second, separate status hierarchy that doesn't seem to exist in other animals, prestige hierarchies. A prestige hierarchy isn't maintained through force and alliances, but through respect. Artists, academics, celebrities, and intellectuals are higher up on prestige hierarchies. When anthropologists study human beings across different cultures, what they observe is not blind copying of random individuals that, uh, individuals that surround them. Instead, it's copying of prestige individuals. This copying also seems to be happening at a level beneath explicit rationales about what works. This means that people will copy things even with no argument about why X is better than what they were doing before but simply because someone prestigious seemed to be doing it. One example involving hunter-gatherer tribes found that after a more successful tribe, more prestigious, had, a, had painful rites of passage for boys to be seen as men in the tribe, many other tribes spontaneously adopted the same kinds of rituals. This kind of copying, therefore, seems hardwired instinctively rather than, or uh, yeah, instinctively, rather than simply a product of reasoning about the case or the cause of success. We try to do what the cool kids do without even realizing it. The power of prestige copying. 
Heinrich argues extensively in his book that this simple mechanism, copy prestigious people or groups, may have been one of the principal mechanisms behind the invention of culture and how human beings surpass our hominid ancestors. Prestigious copying works like natural selection, except instead of inheriting genes through reproduction, you copy behaviors from others. Since people tend to copy all the details, not merely understanding rationale, this fidelity means that complex behaviors can evolve culturally and propagate even if people don't know why they work. It's likely true, therefore, that our cultures have embedded in them countless beneficial strategies and behaviors that we don't have a clear reason for why they work. They work the same way that a cat can hunt without understanding its own digestion because process of replication and selection generated it rather than deliberate engineering. When copying most successful backfires. For all the power of copying, however, it can backfire like the painful manhood rituals of tribesmen. Just because successful people are doing something doesn't mean it's actually useful. In fact, the opposite can be true. Successful people often engage in what's known as counter signaling. This is when you do things that are actually costly just to show you have the ability to pay for them. A gazelle that wastes energy by leaping straight up in the air after spotting a crouching leopard could have used those calories for running away. Instead, however, it wants to say, look, I'm so fit, you shouldn't even try to chase me. The peacock has such an impressive plumage, not because it helps him survive, but because he has to be healthy to survive. So the female peacocks will pick him. Signaling is pervasive everywhere. Thus, our instincts to blindly copy prestigious individuals can backfire if we copy costly signals we can't actually afford. The strategy to copy prestigious individuals only needs to be right on average to have survived this long, which means it can still be wrong in plenty of specific cases. Does prestige plus signaling explain ineffective institutions? I suspect that this combination of signaling plus prestige copying explains the unusual persistence of many of the broken features of our modern institutions. Healthcare, education, politics, religion, and more often have obvious flaws where there are clear fixes available. Yet, they don't get changed because their signaling functions often override their actual usefulness. Put in other words, schools often don't fully reform because the reforms that would make them better for learning make them worse at giving credentials. Hospitals focus on expensive interventions rather than cheap preventions because showing you care matters more than promoting overall health. Politics center around drama instead of policy because drama allows you to show people which team you're on, uh, which team you're on better than abstract policy discussions. The lesson of signaling is that when the big things in the world around you look broken, it's often because you don't understand the function they're really trying to serve. In a normal environment, competition might eliminate these inefficiencies. A competing institution that is better formatted, uh, format excuse me, to how people actually learn might defeat reigning universities in an open contest. Except that because we copy prestigious individuals, institutions that gain prestige themselves may persist much longer than they should. Universities, healthcare systems, or even modes of governance can become... Uh, who? 
there's a word I don't know, I'm going to skip it, can become something sclerotic, uh, but survive because their accumulated prestige means that people emulate them unconsciously and thus they can maintain their monopoly. This is what happens when you read this stuff for the first time. Um, when should you avoid emulating successful people? As a practical matter, the prestigious copying works well. If it didn't, you probably wouldn't be reading this now. In fact, you probably wouldn't be reading anything. Instead, just eating some raw meat from an animal that you had to kill with your bare hands. However, with the existence of signaling, it can also backfire when you copy counter signals which hurt your success, but which successful people do show that they can do. Deciding which are counter signals and which are genuine causes of success isn't easy. After all, it fully, it's fully understanding the reason behind successful behavior were easy. We would have evolved that instead of blind copying. We haven't because often saying what makes something work is a lot harder than simply noticing that it doesn't work. There are cases I think that are obvious enough that they probably are worth avoiding or at least being skeptical of, despite the fact that successful people do them. Some examples, wasteful spending of money and time. I think most people will accept that owning a Ferrari doesn't make you rich, but how many of us fetishize the weird investment habits of people who have unlimited money to waste? Excessive pickiness and avoiding grubby work. Some successful people boast about turning down opportunities or avoiding doing some type of work that's hard, but probably necessary when you're just getting started, like pitching your work instead of just passively receiving opportunities. Some of this is simply a consequence of a different life situation, but I suspect that some of it also functions to say, I'm important enough that I don't need to do blank anymore. Weird rituals that are probably useless. Any success advice you read that starts with what person blank has done for breakfast in the morning is probably bogus. Similarly, I think it's no surprise that weird health trends like anti-vax, detox, and strain supplements are mostly applied by those who, already, who are already healthy and rich. They have the money and body to tolerate those treatments. Now, just interrupt for a bit. Understand this article was written in, I think, summer of 2019. So this is well before COVID, well before any type of COVID vaccine. So when he's talking about anti-vax, he's not speaking, I guess, specifically in an example of like the COVID vax, but I guess of like the other ones that came out before us, flu and all the other stuff. So just want to put that in so we're clear. Another good way to spot for signaling is to notice when people say blank a lot more than they do blank. Um, if the proportion of saying to doing things is huge, blank is probably more of a signal than an actual useful task. In contrast, if the ratios are the opposite, most people do it, few people admit it, then it's kind of anti-signal, something that is very effective despite the fact that people don't want to admit to doing it. Although I think there's probably benefit to applying some skepticism when copying prestigious people's personal habits, the mysteriousness of why many culturally adapted traits work should also oppose going in the opposite extreme, dismissing everything unless you know exactly why it works. The best answers are usually somewhere in between, a mixture of wide-eyed as opposed to blind, copying and careful analysis to try and tease out the places where people's words and deeds conflict to see what really matters. So 
I thought that was a wonderful art, uh, article or a blog post, whatever it may be. And like I said, this is my first time reading and like doing these things live on the podcast because I, I just like when you guys get my my kind of my first impressions, my my natural response. And this takes me down so many paths, so many paths that I don't want to make this a an hour long podcast about the school systems and, and, and financial education and all that fun stuff. But in sticking with trading specifically, the, the first thing that comes to mind are a lot of the trading scams out there, a lot of the the either the, the signal services, a lot of the magic strategies, all of that stuff, right? The people that tell you this is a get rich quick scheme, invest with me and you can double your account every day of the year, all of that fun stuff, right? There are a lot of people, unfortunately, that fall for, fall for that type of stuff and you know, fortunately, I was never one of them, but I, but I also think there's a, a bit of common sense as the article written, right? If something seems too good to be true, um, one, it probably is, but two, at least do some research, right? You know, also knowing what successful people actually look like is big as well. Like, you know, for me, when I see someone driving around or bragging about a Ferrari or a gold chain or owning a tiger, right? For me, I don't look at that as being successful because most of the successful people that I know, most of the people that have true wealth, um, they, they may have their luxury items, don't get me wrong, but it's not the first thing that they're showing you. They're not, they're not bringing you in and saying, hey, look at my Ferrari, look at my car, look at this. They're probably telling you something else first, and then you may happen to see it, and it's like, oh yeah, well that you know that's that was my little gift for myself after ten years of success, right? It, it's it does the message come before the reward because that's really what they're selling you. So you know, let's say you're looking for a mentor, right? Is that mentor first saying, hey, here's my Ferrari, you do what I do, you can have one too, or is that mentor saying, hey, here's what you have to do to be successful? You do these things, hey you may be able to get yourself one of these, right? And it's a subtle change, but what they tell you first makes a massive difference. And that's something that we practice in our business and, and not purposely actually, but I thought about this while we're doing reading the article, but you know, it, we turn so many people away. And the reason we turn people away is because they ask for something that they're not going to get. You know, we get questions all the time. Hey, Akil, hey, Jason, if I join your program, how much money will I make in the first month? Or, hey, if I join your program, will I be ready to trade live in like two weeks or, you know, stuff of that sort. And for business purposes, we can always be like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, go to the go to the, the workshop. And, you know, because once we have your money, and you're signed up. We don't really care about what you do. Right. But the fact is we turn them away. We look at each other, we say, hey, this person, well, we explain it first. We explain, hey, you know, here's what we do. It's, it's probably going to take you six to 18 months minimum. Um, if you're willing to invest that time and work hard and put in a massive amount of effort and make a whole bunch of life sacrifices, you have a higher chance of being successful. You, it's, it's not a, uh, a say-all, be-all by any means. Your, your success isn't guaranteed, but you put yourself at a better chance of being successful, um, which, which is really a turnoff because people want to be sold the easy way. And we're bas just basically saying, hey, you know, you might be successful, you might not. That's kind of on you. Um, another thing that we get a lot is, hey, you know, what, what's your strategy? Will I learn this strategy? Will I learn this? And will I learn that? And again, if you've ever been to any of our workshops or asked us these questions or responded to anything we did, you know, the first thing we always say is we, we don't tell you, hey, we teach strategies. Now we do. Don't get me wrong. We have strategies, but we don't say, oh, yeah, yeah, we teach all these strategies. What we do is we teach you how to trade. We teach you how to be in position where you can either create your own strategy from scratch 
or you can take a strategy that we offer or a strategy that someone else out there offers and tweak it to fit around your life, right? That is that is the message. And it's a little bit different than what most people will tell you. But again, if you have made the decision that I'm just going to find someone that's successful and blindly copy them without really digging into the details, you put yourself at risk and and you put yourself at risk because in these time and days, many people, they, they want the easy route. They want the instant gratification, but they only hear what they want to hear, right? They don't want to hear no. They have an idea in their head about what success looks like. And that idea is, is formed by the internet and all the the junk that's out there of, of people doing all types of fake stuff, but it's prestigious, so we believe it. Um, and anything that goes against them is is basically, no, no, I don't want to hear it. I'm, I'm just going to ask the same question to a million people until I find that one person that tells me yes. So you got to be careful, right? I do think at the end of the day, the best way to become successful is to follow successful people. It's to find someone successful find out what that person has done to become successful and try to copy that. But the part that's always left out in that that statement is the fact that you have to find someone that's actually successful. And in these days, more, much more than in the past, there's a big difference between people that are successful and people that seem successful. And that's where you have to do your, your digging. That's where you have to talk to these people. That's where you have to understand their vibe. That's where you have to kind of ask them the questions. Hey, what did you do to become successful? Just don't tell me what you have. Don't tell me what you do now. Tell me what you have done. How were you when you were struggling? What got you over the hump? Those are the questions you want to be asking. No one cares what successful people do now because that doesn't affect you. Why? Because you can't copy them because you're not successful, right? There was another article I read about, hey, successful people can do this and do that and, and kind of distribute their time in all these ways because they have, they have all these avenues. I'll, I'll give you a good example. Um, my business partner, great uh, Jason Greystone, he's at the point right now, right? We, we always say this, right? Automate or delegate, right? A true entrepreneur wants to automate or delegate, meaning in order to turn your financial freedom into time freedom, you need to transfer the effort that it takes to make that money and place it elsewhere so that you can still make the majority of that money without the time dedication. So it's basically like having a personal assistant. Every day you have these tasks that you have to do, right? I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do this. If you can either automate it, program it so whatever, you know, it, whatever program does it for you or delegate it, have like a personal assistant who scans your emails, who, you know, creates your social media posts, who, you know, produces your podcast, right? What you're doing is you're buying yourself time. Right. And most successful people will you'll see they're probably doing that. The difference is if you're not successful, you probably don't have the disposable income to be paying people to do this for you. Right. Because <laughs> you don't have the money. You're on your own. So when you ask somebody, hey, how did you get started when you first started your podcast? How did you do it? You're not looking for, oh, yeah, you know, I got someone that does this and they, they make the art and they do this and this. You want to hear that answer that says, hey, you know. I would I would lock off an hour of my day or I would record like 10 podcast episodes in a day and then just do the artwork and program it all at once. You want to hear those stories, right? You don't just want the answer. You want to find out how the successful person got to that answer. And I'll tell you what, someone that is truly successful, they're going to have that answer for you. Somebody that is just prestigious, pretending, they won't. 
Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Hey, if you're looking for some trading-related content, check out the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Stokes. Lots of live videos each and every week. We got the Weekend Trading Edge video, which is my weekly outlook on the markets. And we got the live room live streams every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 7.30 a.m. New York time. You can hop into our live room, join us for a live discussion on YouTube when I show you or, or sit with me while I walk you through my top trading idea of the day. So youtube.com slash Akil Stokes. Subscribe, hit that bell so you know when the next video is coming. And I'll see you over there.